London is not just some city. Its spirit stands outside of time. Certain places have influenced its citizens. It is not only a setting, but a presence, a character in various films, novels and poems. My name is Philip Röttgers and I search for London's spirit. I think there are two particular ways to explore the powerful and mysterious place that is London, through literature and through walking. Follow me into a secret world. Follow me to London beyond time and place. In this series I will explore its spirit by walking the city and talking to London enthusiasts. I invite you to join me. Together we will discover London beyond time and place. This is Talks Beyond Time and Place. Hello everybody to Talks Beyond Time and Place. My name is Philip Rettgers and my guest today is Tara Jane Griffin. Welcome Tara. Uh, Tara is a London-based storyteller uh, and museum professional working regularly in the mediums of poetry, design, photography and spoken word. She's also an anthropologist interested in the pub, which I like very much. I think this is a topic we're going to talk about a bit. Uh, and she's very, she's a very creative mind and is, in what I saw on the internet and on various social media, uh, I, I thought that she's very good in the things that she does, uh, be it photography, poetry or sketches. And uh, so I'm very happy to have you here today. Welcome Tara. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's actually a delight to be here. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm very happy that you're here. So which pub would we be, would we be sitting in now if we had met in person? <laughs> Depends. What, where, whereabouts in London do you want to go, really? What's your oh, vibe? Um, anywhere. I have to say, if you were, if you were come, there's a, one of my favourite pubs which has recently been, it went through a bit of a rough patch like most pubs in London, but it's yeah. just a back street one. It's called The Pineapple and it's behind Kentish Town. Absolutely amazing. We could definitely okay. go there have a bit of Thai food and a nice pint. Good uh, all right. I think I, I, I've never been in there, but I think I passed it. So I think I have a rough idea where it is. So yeah, it's on my list it's now. Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, if yeah. you love um, also just by Hampstead Heath, there's a pub called the Southampton Arms. That mm -hmm. is a legendary pub. Okay. It only does the local um, independent places. All right, I'll note them down and then I'm going to have to visit them. Oh, we will have to visit them once it is possible. Yes, we'll have to go. Yeah, and we will definitely. So before we come uh, to to anything else and to our funness uh, for London pubs, I want to talk with you about uh, Eros. Eros that was published last week. Tell me a bit about it. Um, so I've been writing a lot, um, just random bits and pieces and I never really have anything overarching until suddenly I had this whole kind of trilogy pop into my head, exploring something that I find very easy to write about, which is just love and the different types of love and, and very liminal moments between people. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily big, overly romantic love, but small moments of kind of connection and and deep love that isn't really expressed sometimes you know it's not a bunch of roses sometimes it's the smallest brushing a hand or realizing both of you like a very specific thing um, and so I wanted to 
morph all of them together and instead of having individual poems that were great on their own create a story from them and kind of have them so you can read them individually but they will create a narrative where you follow the person who's the main character kind of through the different types of love because there's a, a great saying I, I don't know who said it someone at some point but there are sort of three loves in your life you have your first love your bad love and then your best love and you have to go through that process and it's a book that kind of explores that through liminal moments of or liminal scenes in this person's life and the journey that it goes on nice so part yeah. one yeah came out I, I found a wonderful publisher and uh yeah so it's really cool actually i've never had anything in print before so yeah this is great and I, I know the feeling it's a great feeling when you finally have something in print uh printed in your hands that is yeah that is really awesome and uh, unfortunately i didn't have the chance to read it yet because it came out as i said last week and or something like that and uh, but i'm still gonna i'm still gonna read it i promise and i want to read it not only because you're my guest but anyway yes. <laughs> i want to, want to read it definitely yeah so this is the first of three you said that, yeah I mean, so we've yeah. got plans for this one in february then one in july and then one in december um, oh so is, all... yeah quite nice to have a yeah, yeah. We will we will have to talk about the other two also. We'll need to have uh, another another episode another. or two more ep episodes episodes, uh, and then we're going to talk about the rest. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. I I like the I like the idea. Okay, so um, as I said, you do so many things. I'm sorry for the some the the mirroring in my glasses, uh, but I can't do it without my glasses because oh. otherwise I wouldn't see you. <laughs> Um, as I said, you do so many things like photography, writing, designing, and of course, you're also a museum professional. So can you tell me a bit about uh, Tara in the museum, about your career as a museum professional? I fell into it completely by accident, and it was via those other means that I ended up working in a museum. So I did, I became a poet first, sort of around 2014, and I started going out and, and exploring museums as something to give me kind of different worlds to look at and thought that was grand, nothing of it. And then I went and did a literature degree. That was great. Forgot hmm. about museums completely. And then I got a job working in a charity and then that kind of became very like, overwhelming. So I left that. And in the interim period where I was like, what am I going to do with my life, quite frankly? Um, I went onto a website, I fell into photography again, which I used to love doing and, and started taking photos. I went onto a website and they had a position at the Museum of London oh, yeah. for um, creating a, a kind of interpretation around some new acquisitions and they were looking for people interested in photography. So I went, I love photography, I'll give it a go, I've got yeah. nothing else to do. And that was the start of it. So I ended up in the museum and I suddenly became aware of all this ethics, all these wonders, all of this internal um, kind of struggles between different groups and representation and kind of then started questioning why, why hadn't, why had I gone to museums as a child and as a teenager and then not been or not felt comfortable returning on my own? Why was that? What was going on there? And then realized that I didn't feel welcome in some museums and that was part of it. And then wanting to get more people like myself into museums and more people who are not like myself, who are not represented in museums, even though they form the entire basis of London. Sometimes you can go to a museum in London. There's nothing to do with Londoners, yes. not, not contemporary Londoners, or 
it's a very controlled narrative that's given out and I'd like to be someone who starts working to kind of change that as much as possible but that's basically how I got into it and from that point I did a master's in it and I fell in love with the subject with the matters with the people who work in museums with everything and slowly just ended up yeah where I am and hope to continue on this bizarre journey oh you will you will and I, I like the approach I really like your approach and and uh, I, I think yeah I, I agree with that in, in a way and I, I think you're right so I'm, I'm, I really like the the approach that you have to, to museums and, and yeah that's a that's a great uh, yeah I'm looking forward to to what you do but tell me a bit about what you've done what you're going to do and tell me a bit of what about what you've done with which museums you've already worked with for example um, so I, I started out at the Museum of London just as a, a kind of volunteer for that Hackney Flowers project um, and one of the brilliant people that I worked in this team with, um, Lisa, she's got it now on the on the Museum of London website so you can go and view the film that we put together. Um, but that was an amazing, amazing project because what we did is we, we had these acquisitions by Stephen Gill who's a photographer and mm -hmm. he he's very location-based he does a lot of work in in and around London and about the spaces and places people inhabit and this was a series about Hackney and what he'd done with it was wild he'd gone out into the streets he'd taken some street photography shots then he had them printed and he had them he had them buried in the ground of Hackney and then he did lots of different things where he went and collected items off the floor or asked people if they were smoking for their cigarette butts or those types of things and then he layered them on top and created these collages that have so much depth not just in the actual thing itself but in kind of how many layers it's it they're, they're part of the ground of Hackney the people the atmosphere the smells everything is condensed to create these images so with that, we were tasked somehow to make a five minute film on what on these. So as a group, we decided to go out into Hackney and bring the voices of Hackney residents into the museum. So our film was very much about how can we get Hackney residents to tell their own story rather than feeding into this same um, top down approach to kind yeah. of having certain voices in museums. And yeah, so after that, um, I was then invited back to take part in um, a consultation for the new museum. So that was amazing. And this, that's actually uh, on that project is where I met my publisher, Floria. Oh, okay. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and yeah, so it, again, everything in my life just seems to weirdly interlink with each other, uh, which is grand. So from that point, I then went to a consultation about how they were going to set up this new museum. That was so interesting. So many interesting other Londoners. It was completely made up of Londoners talking about what they wanted in the museum. Oh, great. Um, and that was thrilling for me because exactly it, it's nice to see it kind of being broken apart and saying, what do you want? It's, your, it's the Museum of London. And they consulted with Londoners about what should be in there, what stories should be told, what stories hadn't previously been told. Um, and yeah, it was just fascinating. And so I hope that that series of consultations they did create a new amazing museum, which it should do. Um, oh yes. But yeah, so that's <laughs> that's I'm very excited for that opening. Yeah. And in terms of other museums, I work at the Museum of Freemasonry currently. Um, again, Freemasonry is inherently linked to London. Oh yes. So that's how I ended up in there. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. the London pub route into Freemasonry. Ah, 
Yeah, well, let's talk about Freemason. In a minute. Sorry? Um, nothing. I was just thinking about, um, yeah, just lo I've done those with lots of different different projects in all sorts of places, really. I'll do anything if uh, it's got some history involved in it. So. Yeah, that's, but I, 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 I like what you just said about the involving Londoners, of course, but also about the, um, the approach of the photographer with the connection to, to space and place, because I think I'm, 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 a, I'm an, an, an admirer of this topic of, of places and spaces and, and how, how people are connected to places and how, people influ uh, how places influence people and vice versa. So this is very much uh, very interesting. And yeah, kind of, of doing this in, in collaboration with a museum or doing something like that for a museum, I think this is uh, just a wonderful uh, pro project. Yeah. yeah. It's really amazing and, and as I said it's online so you can definitely have a look at it but I just thought you you especially with the work you're doing with London through time and place it's <laughs> just brilliant yeah I'll have a look I'm going to put a link anyway into the description so but uh, yeah I'm gonna maybe I'm, I'm gonna ask you to send me the link so that I can put it into if I if I can't find it myself which I think yeah. I will but yeah <laughs> okay so yeah and um, as far as I'm aware uh, you are also the winner of the prize for outstanding creative practice in museum and gallery studies and were awarded yeah. for your work on your dissertation project at Kingston University last year. So can you tell us a bit about about the project? Yes, so this is my probably crowning glory. Uh, <laughs> I was sat in a weather balloons having a pint when the idea struck me for my dissertation. I think that's probably a fairly normal story, but I decided <laughs> to write on the pub itself. So <laughs> a little bit different. Um, essentially what I started doing was looking at pubs and realized that they, I've always, it's something I think we all know as Londoners. Uh, pubs are places of immense oh, social yeah. power and action and depth and community, but we just all kind of, it's like there's a perception filter on it. We know it, but we don't ever really stop, think and interrogate it. That's what I wanted to do. So I looked at pubs as heritage sites originally, and that was looking at Weatherspoons who actively go out of their way to acquire buildings who have a history behind it. So in London, if you go to any Weatherspoons, it's probably an old cinema or an old yeah. theater, um, a, a listed building, and they'll move into it. So I was intrigued about why they wanted to do this surely that's taken on a lot of costs and that was going to be one route for the dissertation but as i started investigating them people started asking me what do you mean you're you're doing the pub <laughs> and then telling me stories about themselves and about them being in pubs and slowly my dissertation changed into looking at the pub but looking at how you kind of categorize it and how do you capture it and put it in a museum? If I was to open a museum of the pub and it just had the building of the pub, which is kind of what Weatherspoons are doing, they're, they're, they're just having the building, they're changing the insides into different things. The building isn't the pub, is it? It's, it's not, it's the people, it's the stories, it's the way that we remember it, it's the smells, it's the sounds, it's the sights, it's the arguments, it's the lock-ins, it's the dusty, yeah. disgusting, stools um the sticky floors it's all of those things and how would you capture them and put them in a museum because all of that is 
intangible and it's not in it's usually spoken about in a type of terminology that isn't formal it's incredibly informal and the yep. words that are used tend to change over time so i and and have different different user groups use different words for different pubs and different yep. sorts of pubs so my big overarching thing then was how the hell am i going to categorize a museum of the pub well i'm going to have to build one so i created my own museum of the pub everyone wanted to join in on my research i was the coolest kid in the world because i would take yes, you, you to the pub and interview you buy you a pint and then just that was it I, that was my entire research plan was just recording and transcribing stories i would buy you a pint if you, you did I that did with me <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'd buy the first one and then because i had them talking they just carry on buying their own yeah okay that's that's a good <laughs> strategy yeah 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 <laughs> okay so yeah, that that was it. It, it. it was it became this big project where I created a museum, and I kind of turned a bit. It, it wasn't so much cataloging, but I screwed with the way museums tend to organize material by attributing to physical say, say this mm -hmm. um, by attributing not the not the words that I would use to this as the museum person. But asking people what their words for describing it was, and then having that as part of what you were looking for. So in a hundred years time, if someone wanted to know about a pint glass or about this book, they wouldn't just get my opinion. They would also get the words of the user group that were connected to this, their words too. And suddenly that object has so much more life to it. And you can oh, see, yes. you know, the pint glass isn't just the pint glass, then it's the story. It's what it smelt like. It's what it, it's how it was um, phenomenologically viewed within the human being that was looking at it at that time. It's almost like capturing time and it's that interlink between a physical object and the person and then yeah. you somewhere in the future looking at that. And I wanted to bring that back somehow. So yeah, it was overall a really weird thing because it was on the surface pubs, but also like very <laughs> intense. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Very intense. But uh, the pandemic probably stopped the project i think yeah it <laughs> did it did because i so i just graduated in january and then by march i, I kind of thought i deserved a break after that so I had a oh yes break. yeah i understand that and you you did then, i think you did <laughs> yes yeah thank you um and then i ended up with uh, the pandemic and quarantine and and the break i didn't ask for i don't i don't want this long thank this, you yeah Hmm. Oh, hopefully anyone watching this somewhere far off in the future, we're out, but, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, uh, I was just saying something and it's gone completely out of my head. Oh yeah. So I planned then to turn it into a PhD. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I was having a bit of a break and I meant to go and collect my physical objects because I, I stole a lot of pint glasses while I was doing my research. But I think everybody did, but ne never. And I meant to go nobody and ever said it was university, but it got shut. And <laughs> <laughs> no, and everyone has a pint glass in their house somewhere that that, that is stolen from somewhere. Yeah, uh, so it's amazing. I love seeing which ones people have as well. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping one day to continue it, hopefully soon, but I've just gone back to kind of the online and kind of getting people's stories. And I've been collecting newspaper articles and my one of my favorite things was in 
in England when the lockdown first started, Boris Johnson went on TV and in the first national address in the middle of the pandemic, he spent about two minutes talking about how the pubs were closed. And that's the only thing people are asking is when's the yep. pub open? I don't understand. If children can go to school, why can't I go to the <coughs> pub? And it's just incredible. This new change, this new like interest in how intensely tied to the pub we are. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let us back in. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's part of the identity. But yeah, it, it, it really comes across in a situation like that. So so it's it's taken for granted and then suddenly you think or suddenly there's this reaction where people say, what, you, you, when can I go to the pub? <laughs> you can't take that away from me. So that's very strange. Yeah, yeah, you never really think about it until until you and you come into a situation like that. You can't, yeah. And I think it, it goes back into that thing of the pubs being a source of community and connection for people because yeah. I think underlying a lot of it, it's not really that we're all a bunch of alcoholics. Um, I think it's that we miss that. We miss being able to be in a room like that with people just casually, like in a giant living room, but with yeah. multiple people rather than just being trapped in our own living room. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's definitely it, definitely. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, you're the expert now, and, but but this is this is it. It has always been a... a important for 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 the people and for the areas for for certain areas the, the pubs were always always the the social hub in a way um not yeah. only not only as a, as a place of, of gathering and getting together but also because of the historic connections that they they're kind of historic institutions almost like 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 churches i i, I yeah think. so yeah um and and yeah they they're also part of the spirit of of a place in a way and and this is again where 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 i come in basically but now this is the the the, the subject where i think yeah of course I, I i and this is where i really like your 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 project which which uh pub have you been sitting in when you had the idea <laughs> if you if you don't mind me asking if I, you don't want to say it it's okay i was sitting in no that's, i was sitting in the king's ton which is in um kingston and mm -hmm. it's named after the original name of kingston the king's ton and yeah. Yeah, it's a weather I was sat lounging in an armchair with some of my um, university friends and we were all sitting there going, what are we going to write about? We've got a whole dissertation to do. And suddenly with a pint of Strongbow in my hand, I looked up and whenever you're in Weatherspoons, they have panels on the wall that tell you about the building. And I thought, oh, wait, this is a museum. Mm. And then suddenly, <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it, you you never really think about it until you're in a situation like that when you realize I'm already in a museum basically <laughs> I've never really seen it until now but yeah I'm already in a museum so yeah um, so so what do you think I I think now yeah we're we're in the pandemic pandemic and we will see when the pubs when when it can open up again and and some probably can't open or, or won't reopen but then again it's it's uh, others will open up and 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 this is the story of london it always has been so I'm, i don't think it will have that much of an impact in the end although of course it's it's a sad thing for 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 the people who now have no 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 work yeah yeah that's one of the worst things and weatherspoons really annoyed me with the way they got on with the pandemic they 
fired a lot of their staff with absolutely no pay, no, and didn't even furlough them, um, which you can do here. So, but there's one of the parts of my research was, uh, and one of the major factors of my anthropology is um, Tom Harrison, who started the sort of guerrilla um, anthropology, mm-hmm. and he wrote a pub. Uh, he wrote a pub. He wrote a book called The Pub. And the pub. Nice. That's the, that's the next next step after turning a pub into into a museum is writing a pub. <laughs> right, a pub into being. That's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll start a literary pub. That's it. Just the new the new age cafe. Yeah. So, well, which full circle. Anyway, um, this Tom Harrison, he wrote The Pub and the People, and this was in 1939, just before the war broke out. And it's fascinating because pubs before, he did this, I think it was nine months he had people infiltrate Bolton and they got to know everyone. They became, they just lived alongside, but every day they'd write down what they'd observed. And a lot of it was focused around the pub and the different, different, groups that use the pubs and the different kind of low low key wars that were had between people um, mm-hmm. kind of group territory and it's amazing but it gets to the point where all of them have to leave because the war starts and after that the pub is never the same again yeah. and he managed to capture this incredible moment on a precipice that that he didn't know what was going to occur afterwards uh, or that it was even coming and yet he's captured this he captured the pub before it irrevocably changed and i feel like that's where we are this is going to affect the landscape of pubs and the use and just who controls pubs because independent people are finding it we're already finding it difficult whether Mm. they'll be able to continue in the same way that they could before whether the demands for gentrification is going to become much higher um like top down wise mm-hmm. i just think yeah it, it, it recording now or recording what i've done i'm hoping that if it does change then i've got like at least a good basis for what the pub was before that point because that's really one of the only studies of pubs that i found that was comprehensive that i yeah. really based a lot of what i did upon yeah yeah so but yeah i i see the the parallels and, and i see what you mean so yeah it's an interest it's in- interesting to to um to to uh, see from now on or, or to um yeah to 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 uh, experience from now on how how it will develop <laughs> in comparison to what happened during and after the war too so what's going to happen now yeah. just interesting to to see that so uh how can people participate in your pubology <laughs> what can they do just send me things i mean honestly anything to do with a pub um i if you've longer history or longer stories then i'm happy to conduct interviews and record that even if i i'm i compiled a massive bank of words so even if you've only one or two words if you hate the pub and you would like to rant at me about why you hate pubs that's totally fine too oral histories you can send me recordings of what a pub is to you i i take soundscapes so if you have a recording on your phone of something from a pub very randomly um they're fine videos instagram stories anything to do with the pub i'm truly just collecting anything and and kind of synthesizing it um if you want to get in contact with me about anything to do with the pub you can catch me on linkedin under my name tara jane griffin or on my website as well you can just get through to me there or on instagram um, i'm gonna, gonna put it on no on. my instagram name is Tyler the Cur- 
Yes, I'm going to put it all into the description so people can find you and, and share their their stories with you. So you had a if you if you have a story about a pub, uh, photos, uh, stolen pint glasses, or anything like that, uh, or just want to tell her what the pub means, then uh, please get in touch with Tara and become part of become part of her of her project. What was the weirdest story that you've heard up to now? Is there something like the weirdest story or, or anything like that? <laughs> if there's not, it's, it's no. Or something that you wouldn't have there expected. There were so many of them that they took off the plate. Was something I didn't expect. Oh, if you... There was what it wasn't a weird story, but I thought it was incredibly beautiful. Was I, I had a story from someone whose father didn't speak English, and he was um, an immigrant, and he came to um, I can't remember where. I think it might have been southeast London. And he used to go, even though he couldn't speak English, to the pub. And he didn't drink, he was a Muslim. But he would oh, go yeah. to sit and just be, and just to soak in the world, really. And I thought that was brilliant. And then all the stories of people going to pubs that didn't drink told me that there is a reason for that. It's not, so then So then the pub isn't connected to alcohol, is it? What is it connected to? Yeah. Um, and that was one of my favorite stories. And I just had absolutely huge stories um, that spanned really long soundscapes of listening to my granddad talk and wind other people up in the pub. <laughs> um, that was amazing. He's proper Irish and he would just oh, yeah. talk. Someone, I had this soundscape where it was me, my mother and my grandfather and someone came over to us. How we were fairly good friends with them old family friends they came over and i've got the sound recording on the side but no one quite knows that i'm recording it and they're chatting away and everything and as soon as she, as soon as she left my granddad went that's an awful cold that is and then started talking about how terrible this woman's cold was and then she was like ah oh, but she looks grand the rest of us fine and it just made me laugh that i'd recorded him just insulting this woman even though they get on but that's just the irish way i suppose you always yeah. talk about someone as soon as they've walked away <laughs> that, that made me laugh quite <laughs> but yeah so so you started the, the project quite early when you when you recorded it back then <laughs> already so yeah. yeah i was that but that's one of the things i think i realized i opened my cupboards and realized i had about 14 pint glasses so when did i really start collecting the pub did the pub start collecting me i don't really yeah know. Probably. probably yeah and i think yeah as you said it's really interesting for like the story with the uh with the, with the muslim guy in in southeast london or wherever it was i mean wh where else would you go to to get to know the society you're living in and get to know the people of, of the area. I mean, it's, it's just the natural yeah. place to go, even if you don't drink. But yeah, it's, it's so natural to, to people that, that you don't think about it, at least up, up until yeah. someone tells you this story and you think, yeah, of course, where else would you go? Yeah. So uh, I think if I'm correct, you grew up in, in North London, in Camden Town. Am I correct? Is yeah. That, is that right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and you also cite London as one of your biggest influences and inspirations. So how far has London shaped you and shaped your career? If it did, maybe I'm completely wrong. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that could have more of an impact in my life aside from my mother. Um, 
it's just everywhere to me. I felt intensely connected to this city ever since I was a child. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's all, it's so alive. I walk the streets and I can feel it. It's, it's like walking yeah. alongside ghosts and the way oh, yeah. that it's built and the way that it, it just, there's so much all layered on top of each other. And it's just vibrant, but in a very actual vibrating kind of way. Yes, it's absolutely. And yeah, and I think that, that that has shaped it because I'm constantly, there's so much to unpick. In one, even in one space, you just keep going and digging and you, you come across story after story, layer after layer. But one of the issues with that is that as each layer builds up, things are forgotten and things aren't seen. And even within the contemporary, there's a lot of London that isn't, a lot of Londoners that aren't represented or are still marginalised or are still not part of kind of the actual growth mm. of the image of London as certain groups are trying to push it. So there's just so so much going on and that's that influences my museum career, wanting to make sure that, you know, the things that build a nation are actually they're visible and should be and the, the things that are hidden are discussed and expressed mm -hmm. and then within my own writing I'm constantly trying to I think that's where a lot of my source of love poetry comes from as well in imagining the moments that have happened within these seat these streets or that I feel this intense love for it just pours out into these these things um yeah. And everything. I love geography. I was I was mad on geography when I was a kid, and and the history of London is just wild. I mean, yes. literally, it goes from being wild into into these. Oh, it's just magical. And my <laughs> yeah. school, where I went to school, was Parliament Hill. That was on the base of of Parliament Hill, and learning about that history. Just oh, I looked out the window, and there, there's a mound that was left there by prehistoric waters. What? That's so cool. <laughs> it's just endless. It is. There's so much to be inspired by. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's definitely my biggest thing. And and yeah, my experiences growing up in Camden. Um, I grew up mostly. My mum worked in the pub um, that I talk about quite a lot, the Cop okay. Tavern years ago and so I grew up in all of the pubs around Euston um, a lot of them are gone now and that was part of what fed my fed my um, mm. dissertation kind of because I was looking and seeing that these places that I had intense feelings about had gone and if I where was I going to find that again um, or find my intense reaction to it catalogued or put somewhere for other people to or like did, did my feelings for that are they are they my own does everyone feel this way about pubs about spaces like that and when they're gone like other people are sad and um, so yeah that's that was quite a lot of it yeah yeah that, I, I see i understand exactly what you mean I, I basically feel the same way i i recently had an interesting um uh, discussion or, or talk with one of my other guests, um, with Robert King, and the, the talk is already online. And we talked about, um, you, you know, you go to certain places in London or, or you walk certain streets. And if you're a, a bit familiar with, this, with the stories or with the history, you, 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 I, I mean, I always feel something when I, when I go there, when I walk a, through a certain street or something like that, or visit a certain place. But often it is um, that, that, you, that you 
as you just said, that you know the story or the history behind the place. And we were wondering, uh, do these also feel something or do people also feel something that, that have no idea about the history, like people that come there for the first time, do they go there? Or do they feel the same things or do they feel anything uh, different? It would be interesting to ask someone because we we, we all just, we all know the, the stories. But then we said, yeah, people probably, they, they, they feel something or they, they experience something. And then maybe then if they, they hear a story or the history, then they say, oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's like of a of a, yeah um oh yeah of course it has to be something like that you know so so the the feeling was right now i know why I, why i felt this way i think it's just interesting so to to how you experience a place how you experience a, a city yeah yeah i think you can always feel even if you don't know right a place yeah you can always feel whether it's old you, you can just feel it even if you're not sure why or what it is you, right there's something yeah. about a that imposes itself upon you yeah and the more weight the more time you span behind it the harder that weight kind of hits you yeah and it's also the thing i mean why why do people feel feel drawn to certain places why do they think i i, I feel more drawn to this area or place or street or whatever than, than to another area and often if you then find out maybe the the history or the stories of that place you think oh, of course this is this is something that i feel drawn to but yeah in, in in the beginning you don't really know that there is this this story or, or that something happened there or whatever so um you also say uh, on your website that uh, your aim is to tell the stories of london and londoners as best as you can to as many people as you can which is a sentence and an, an idea that i really like <laughs> uh, so uh i i <laughs> I, I can understand your need and your drive to do that. So how exactly do you want to tell uh, the stories? I am not sure yet. Um, I'm a great believer in the form informing whatever work you're doing. So it really depends on what it is that, that needs to be told. Yeah. Um, a big part of it is I, I really want to get into, I, I've conducted a few of my own, but some participatory projects, much like the Hackney Flowers one that I participated mm -hmm. in. Not, not necessarily telling the stories myself, but making spaces where those stories can tell themselves or people mm -hmm. can tell their stories. Um, and, and, and kind of, I'd like to make more temporary exhibition spaces and museums that are part co-curated or at least or even just fully given over to other groups to curate because why not why not have the actual voices of people who live in that area yeah. in the museum and, yeah. and making making and protecting those spaces um for people to tell their own stories and then kind of getting my own um personal stories and bits and pieces from my own background and people like me and then other people not like me and all the oh just everything i just <laughs> want to ram museums filled with actual like living stories um, yeah museum of contemporary london that would be grand yeah yeah you can work on that you can work on that and then one day it's going to be there and then it's going to be yeah i mean i really like the idea it's, it's mm -hmm. just it's the the best way to to do a museum about London. So yeah, I really understand the drive, as I said, behind that. Um, one of your passions is also uh, photography, experimental, also kind of an experimental photography, film photography. Do you also take photographs of London? 
I mean, yeah, I think you do because you live there, but. <laughs> One of the very first times, I should have really seen my life plan coming, um, but the very first time I ever bunked off school, I was in year nine and I was already in school. I went to school and then I decided to forge a letter to leave school. I had a camera in my bag and I'd left and I went to a museum with the camera and just took photos of London. I explored the whole of South Bank. I went to St. Wow. Paul's Cathedral. I, still, the best day of my life was bunking out of school and going, I'm going in. <laughs> I learned so much. That's when I started kind of taking photography more seriously. Um, I was around about 14 and I just, on my own, photographed every inch of, of the South Bank. And I discovered at that point you could go down onto the beaches and I was down there for hours just picking things, mudlarking, I suppose, mudlarking, yeah. um, but I didn't know the term for it, and I loved it, and so from that point, I just fell in love with photography, and especially trying to capture the city in any form, whether it's small moments between two people walking down South Bank hand in hand, or whether it's the big, grand, kind of gorgeous scenes from the Shard, anything but I just yeah it's my dream to capture it and I do one of my favorite series is that I am working on and currently got about half of the photos I'd like um is long exposures of London so setting up a tripod and just having it so that it, I call it the ghosts of London series so using space these old space yeah <laughs> and then yeah. having the, the people become literal ghosts that are part of it I did the same thing in a museum which was a really cool experiment um but yeah i'm taking it out now and trying to do that in the actual city and just trying to yeah oh i love it and i love people taking photos of anything in london i just think it's glorious to yeah so much down any alley or back street or, yeah. yeah and again there's there's the the topic of love in there overall it's, it's something that <laughs> i think yeah. in, in everything you do there's this i mean love is this the greatest thing on earth but it's it's basically i i can hear and yeah. feel everything that you do yeah so yeah great um yeah yeah i think i sometimes i think i should maybe do a talk with someone who really hates london who <laughs> was like that would be amazing yeah oh my god yeah i would love to watch that actually because I, I think i think yeah. sometimes people are so enamored with something they can't see the other side I think I'm going to do that. I think I will. I'm going to. Can't can't be that difficult to find someone who really hates the place. So, yeah. Uh, hmm? no. Sorry. I said no. There must be someone out. There. Someone there must. must be. Be someone there must there. be someone out there. Yeah. We'll we'll find him. We'll track him down, and then, and then they he's he or she or whoever it is has also got to to share a, a story for of the pub for you. Which he really or yes. she really hates. <laughs> a really terrible part because this person is that hates London and it's she or he or hates pubs and everything. So yeah, <laughs> we should find that person. It would be very interesting. So um, yeah, where, where can we see your photography? Also on your website, I, I think. Mostly on my website, yeah. I, I need to do more with it. Um, I think that I'm going to start trying to publish some smaller pamphlets of the series that I do in my London street photography. Um, yeah. But yeah, mostly on my website or my Instagram is where I post some of them. Yeah. yeah. I've seen some of them, so yes, I can agree with the Instagram. <laughs> so yeah.
Um, and I already mentioned you're also a poet and uh, a very good one, obviously. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, your pop, uh, poems can be, be read and listened to on, on your website also. And uh, so I, you're working on, on a anthology or two, or was Eros, Eros one of them, one of the anthologies? Eros is, I'm working on Eros at the moment, so that's mostly done now. So yeah. those three um, together will be three little chapbooks. And I'm currently working on a anthology with a very good friend of mine called Thomas McDermott, who's an amazing artist. And me and him have a love for pigeons. Um, yes. because they are literally little tiny Londoners who are so cute um, and often kind of kicked to the gutter. So that's and so we're working project, on right? a collection. Pardon? That's that's the pigeon project, right? Wasn't it something like yes. that? Yes. That's the pigeon. pigeon project. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So it's Londoners also. <laughs> Londoners. And then I'm also working on, so I wrote, I've written every day for the whole of January and for the whole of February so far, um, a poem every day in some kind of weird torture to myself, but I've enjoyed what I've come up with so far. Um, and I'm hoping to kind of look back at the end of these two months, sculpt the ones that are the best that I, that people really enjoyed. So again, it's kind of participatory because the yes. ones that people seem to really like, I'm going to try and work them back together. I've also been painting and drawing. You can see that and that bits behind me. So trying to, yeah, trying <laughs> to get all of my artwork to kind of coexist with it and create something called the January Papers, which um, will have kind of a mixture of all of the projects that I do. So, you know, photography, right. some bits and pieces, just creating yeah, a book that's a bit more meaty than just having text like a lot of kind of visual explorations of bits and pieces so yeah those are what i'm working on currently um, yeah yes, is it very difficult to come up with a poem every day not if i've got a prompt but if i'm left on my own devices then yes very difficult um but i i'm always open to that as well so if anyone listening wants to send me the roguest thing go for it i'll see if i can turn it into a poem yeah for you just one but that's that I find that really helpful. It keeps my brain malleable and um, mm -hmm. kind of finding something that's immutable and, and immovable, which is this prompt and then coming at it and going, how can I make you fit? How can I polish you, turn you into something that works or yeah. what, what form is best for this? Um, and yeah, so that's, it's been really fun and it's given me lots to do during lockdown while I've been bored. <laughs> what's, what's, uh, what's the poem of the day to day? Um, I think today is you put disco lights in your bedroom, which was given to me by a friend. Um, a great title. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm yet to write that. So when I'm done with here, I'm off to write that one today. Okay, okay. So everybody who who watches this or listens to this can obviously probably probably um, reread the poem. It's it's going to be published by then. Yeah, great. Got disco lights in your bedroom, right? So yeah, good time. May I, I? I like the title. Yeah. So so when did you start yeah, writing? Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, when did you start writing poetry? Was there a starting point? <laughs> um, I started writing poetry. I've got some strange 
very vivid memories of when I was in school. Um, some around very, very distinct memories of writing a poem using using the letters of every single person in my class. So it was um, A is for Aaliyah, who is, and then used alliteration to give everyone names and titles. And Great, it became yeah. the class poem and just sit on the wall. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember one of the very first lines I ever wrote, which I was I think was about seven, maybe seven or eight, um, which was lids fall over almond eyes, which was the first time I figured out how to use metaphors. So <laughs> I was very excited. Very early, and, yeah, from very early on. Yeah, so I started then just things, writing small bits and pieces. Um, when I was, I didn't have a laptop or a computer for many, many years. And I would spend hours at night writing my own stories. I'd spend hours reading and then I'd spend hours coming up with stories. And and then when I did get a laptop and I didn't have the internet for a long time, I just wrote endlessly, endless stories, anything really. Um, and they, they all just, they never did anything with them, just had them. And then I fell out of it until I started watching Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. And at that point, I started writing poems about the Doctor and his companions and, and imagining other worlds. And I think it opened up for me the idea that I didn't just have to write about here or about Earth. I could make really far-fetched stories um, and set things really far away. So, yeah, and then from that point, had a bit of a break for a while and then came back to writing poetry when I was in sixth form and then I did my degree and I mostly did poetry and writing and then I completely got writer's block and couldn't write for two years oh, just, okay. anytime I looked at a page I wanted to be um I couldn't create I just had nothing in my head mm. um it was horrendous yeah um yeah yeah, so yeah. but it came back um yeah. It did. Yeah, yeah, it was a violent, violent force at the beginning of this year. <laughs> but it worked. I mean, yeah, the violent force worked. The approach worked. So, yeah. Yeah. But it was all, always poetry. Or did you ever consider, like, I don't know, writing short stories? Or... Yeah. So I've got, I've got some short stories. I did, when I did my degree, I split it between doing poetry and doing um, short stories. But that was really when I... I got far more into writing poetry. I find it much easier for me. I think I think my brain rhymes very easily <laughs> and pulls sound together. Um, so that's a natural form. And when I did when I did um, narrative fiction, I had a teacher who just said, "Why are you in fiction? Even when you're writing fiction, it's like poetry." I was like, "I know. I don't understand what my form is. Please just teach me." Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I, I sit on the borderline of, of both, but I love writing short stories. I love reading short stories as well. Um, they're fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's nice that you have this, that you kind of natural, this, this natural, you, you naturally write poetry because I, I find it very, very difficult. I mean, English is not my mother tongue. I'm, I'm, I'm from Germany uh, originally and, so, but even in, in German, it's, I, I, I never really cared for poetry. I'm, I'm more of a, if I write, I'm more of a, of a story writer. So yeah, I really admire that. If you, if you have, you know, you can rhyme in your, your head already and then you've got this, yeah, natural, you can naturally write poetry. I, do, I really like that. Yeah. I have that 
from the other side because <laughs> I see people writing longer forms of fiction and I go, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you maintain the, the ability to hold so many threads and keep them tight and together <laughs> and have the patience and the kind of, yeah, I think the character of someone who can write prose is much stronger than a character who can write poetry because we oh, are just attention spans like this ah, i don't know I, I, no, nah i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that but it's it's just that they're, they're different they're different let's let's, yeah. let's put it like that yeah <laughs> um you, i think you have also appeared in in, in some publications with with poems and with with your poetry also um, and uh, yeah. yeah like for example <laughs> yeah yeah um so i've been featured in a, a few small i love micro presses and small publishers um I, I really gravitate towards them so there's dissonance magazine which was started by katrine um sovag who was on my course at university um, we never really interacted at university that much but afterwards um she started dissonance and it's just a brilliant magazine and we've really connected over that and she publishes lots of really interesting very poignant stories short stories um poetry and so i've featured on that a few times which has been really nice and um, small leaf press as well and chapter house press um and i joined a collective for a while during lockdown and published a few things on with them on their websites Great. and yeah so anywhere i kind of can i it's great just to take opportunities if you're a writer or you've got anything knocking around yes send it into places because small publishers most likely will be interested in what you've written at least that's true yeah that's true yeah so um going away from from the poetry uh for a bit uh you also did a guided tour of the museum of freemasonry which can be that can be yes. and watched on youtube so how did this come about i mean you already mentioned a bit that you worked for them or uh, yeah yeah, so I work at the Museum of Freemasonry as a visitor assistant and tour guide. So when we were open to the public, I started out as a Saturday tour staff member, um, would help out just doing visitor stuff and then guiding the public tours around the building. Each one was about an hour long and we just kind of tell the amazing history of that building, how beautiful it is, show you kind of the art deco brilliance of it and explain what Freemasonry is because a lot of people don't know. They come with preconceived ideas or they might have a relative and be, and it, be wondering what this relative used to do. So it's a great, really engaging place to work. And yeah, I used to do the tours and then I successfully got a full time position. Oh yeah. And just as I got the full time position, we went into lockdown. Mm. So <laughs> I came back to a job that had changed pretty much completely because we could no longer take people around. We couldn't have the numbers that we used to have. There was so many oh the landscape of museums and working in them completely changed. It became scary on some fronts, but I have to say the Museum of Freemasonry was really good at kind of creating an atmosphere that was at one point quite strict to say you know we do have these things in place you will have to sanitize your hands before you come in you're gonna have to stay this much apart from each other but also still remained engaging and had a front of house position that was quite strong and, and really looked after people who were coming in but it meant that i couldn't do tours anymore and that was sad and so what occurred was that the united grand lodge of england and um, the museum of freemasonry 
they decided that a virtual tour would be a great thing to do because I think a lot of museums, a lot of places are doing things more online now. So why not join in with that and, and take part in it? So I heard upon coming back um, from the museum, I was asked if I could come back a couple of days before and if I would present a, a guided tour around the building to go up on the website. And I thought, God, please not me. I can't speak at all. I, please don't put me in front of the camera. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, but it was, decided oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it was decided that I was the kind of person for it. So I thought, OK, well, I'll give it a go. How bad can it go? And it went really well. I, I came up with the script for it. It was based on what we'd kind of learned already. Um, but I edited kind of, you know, condensed it a lot more because I had to get an hour's worth of information down into 10 minutes. Really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just picking yeah. out the stories that I thought would translate best on camera and what I could show you. I genuinely approached it with the idea of if you were there and I was just holding this up and showing you what's going to sing, what's going to show off, what's going to be nice, what what's going to give you um, kind of an experience because that's why you go to museums is to have an experience, not to kind of, yeah, to hear facts, but there's something more to it. So try to get that into it. And yeah, it was really great fun. And I'm so glad with the response to it because it's nice. I love that building so much, so much. It's, it's stunning. I, I love working there and it's nice to have to, to maintain that connection with it through that video and know that people are still engaging with the space that I am so enamored with and it's really nice. Yeah. Um, I understand what you mean. I've been there once I, I, or twice but, and I did a tour once also. So yeah, I, I when I saw the video I also thought, oh yeah, it's, I wish I could go there now but this is this is a good a good summing up of it. And I was I was surprised when I was there uh, to, because I didn't have any prejudices or anything like that, but I was really surprised in how open everything was, how, how what, what, what the guy told us, where that they uh, led us into the, the, the grand hall, I forgot the name, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and maybe, or probably, yeah, that, that everything was explained and there were no, I had the feeling that they, they told everything that, that one wanted to know. There was nothing hidden or nothing secret, but that's just the, uh, <laughs> from from the the visitor's point of view but yeah i was really surprised by that because i really liked that and i thought oh this is more open than people think maybe <laughs> than people expect it to be yeah and i wanted to say you're really great on camera yeah i think it, i think it is and you see in seeing yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's nice it's it's nice that it's that it is open and yeah that really yeah there isn't there's people come in with some ideas sometimes and it's like no here's everything we're literally telling you yeah. say we're not that i'm a mason but you have to be do you have to be a member of a lodge to to work there <laughs> or is, is this no is not at all that <laughs> that's the biggest question i get asked is are, are you a mason I'm, like, no, <laughs> I'm not i could be because the next question is oh is it because you're a woman no there are no women yeah yeah, there yeah. Are. But no, you don't have to. In fact, I believe quite a fair bit of the museum staff are not Masonic at all. Yeah, but, why not? You know, there's, there's no difference between yeah, people in lodges or not in lodges. And some of the nicest people I've met actually coming through the museum have been people who are incredibly enthusiastic about how about their masonry and I love it. It's so Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I met one or two also and I think uh, yeah, I, I completely understand 
what you mean. And, and I thought uh, that was also something that I found very interesting. Uh, I think you can kind of uh, register on the website or send a kind of, hello, I'd like to join. Can I join you? Join you? It's not like a, yeah. like secret meetings and someone says, you know, this guy, I want him to come in, something like that. It's just, hello, can I, can I join you? Yeah. Join the club? <laughs> so it's, yeah. That's always one of my favorite moments is when um, people do come up to me and say, oh, this is great. How, how do I join? Or yeah. they might just be intrigued about how to join. And I said, it's, it's literally on the website. It's on the yeah. website. <laughs> they expect to kind of be handed a secret piece of paper or right. something. It's so intriguing <laughs> and magical. It's like, no, it's on the yeah. website, mate. Let it's me, like a blind for anything. Yeah. Yeah, Let me lead fun. you into the, into the secret chamber and then... <laughs> yeah, but this is there was also my question when I was there, just just out of curiosity. So, so how could I join? And he said, Yeah, you can go on the on the website and just get in touch with us. And I said, Oh, it's that easy. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> one day, who knows? But yeah, I was I was a bit surprised by that. Yeah. So, um, what is what is Tara going to do next? <laughs> what are the next pro projects? <laughs> I have no idea. I, one, I hope at some point to return back to work. That would be yeah. really nice. Um, but beyond that, I think, yeah, I, one of the things is I'd, I'd love to become a doctor. Um, fulfill my Doctor Who fantasies and become the doctor myself. But have, yeah, be a doctor of pubs. That was that's incredible. That would be, so, yeah. And it has a good sound. Dr. Tara Griffin, I think I really like the sound of that. Yes, I'm so <laughs> excited for that. So that's what I really, I think that's the long, long-term plan. And for the moment, just kind of getting my feet really into the museum world and riding this poetry wave out to wherever it takes me, to whatever it turns into. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't really ever plan anything. I, I like to fall into things. I feel like so long as I remain in London, it's a cradle that will somehow catch me no matter what happens. Yeah. Something will occur. There's Absolutely magic here. Right. And yeah. Absolutely right, and I, 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 so yeah, I'm, I'm. I also don't make any plans because they never work out the way you plan them. So, just if if you're on the right track, as you as you said, you you meet people and and opportunities appear, and and then you you realize I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing. So yeah, that's the best way to to live basically, and uh, yeah. So how, what do you think? Do you think uh, the the Museum museums will 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 change, or the the whole scene will change a lot after the lockdown, or is it going to go back to as it was before? Do you have any idea? I think there will be a spike in in visitor attending, um, like visitors attending, and I think there will be a, a kind of renewed appreciation for physical objects. Um, yeah. I think before there was a kind of pull towards how much can we do digitally and the moment that we lost the physical the digital became very important but we suddenly realized the importance of the physical to have something in front of you to be able to see it absolutely properly and experience it um, so I think that there will be a higher percentage of people try trying to engage with that I think that with travel restricted as well that a lot of local places people will become more interested in their local area and maybe start attending local museums and seeing kind of you know being intrigued by things mm -hmm. in that way but yeah those are two of my small predictions but in the larger scheme i've no idea because fun oh there's just 
again, so much to think about. Yeah. Really, again, uh, you, you can't. Yeah, you can't really plan anything. No plans. How, 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 how can you plan in this situation? It's not possible. So, yeah, just small, small predictions. Yeah. So uh, I always finish my talks with three questions that I ask everybody of uh, of my guests. What is your favorite place in London? And do you have a favorite favorite place in London? Favorite place in London? Yeah, it has to be. I think Westminster Bridge, or okay. Waterloo Bridge. No, Waterloo Bridge. There is no way I could ever feel anything but awe or beauty or magnificence on that bridge. If it, on the saddest day of my life, I know that if I went to that bridge and looked out, looked down towards the, well, looked out on either side, but mostly down towards where the Gherkin is and St. Paul's, mm. I just know that it would feel like all of everything in me had just washed away. It's just so that the, the hot, it's, for me, it's the, it's a place where when you look out, you see the whole of London through time. And, and it's just this, that's my pinpoint yeah. place in London. That's yeah. just ineffable. The feeling I get is ineffable and I, I cannot put it into words, but there is my favorite place in London. Right. You don't have to yeah. put it into words. I, I, I think I understand what you mean. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's a, that was a good answer. <laughs> it was a really good answer. Uh, and it's the second bridge this week <laughs> already the other one was blackfriars uh, but that was for a personal reason because my, my guest proposed oh, to, yeah. to his uh, future wife there for two, almost 25 years ago so yeah. i also understood very much why this was his favorite place yeah so but another bridge great I'm, I'm i'm collecting all these favorite places and then one day i'm gonna i'm gonna put out a list with all all the places mentioned mentioned and, and which one has to have the most vote <laughs> I think it's surprising because many of these. You do a walking tour. Oh, oh, I, I, it's surprising up to now because most of these places are, um, are almost tourist-like places. Someone said, "Oh, it's this, the South Bank." Someone said, "It's." Or, or people say it's the bridges or uh, Hyde Park, and I, I thought, "Oh, this is interesting." I would have expected like some back alley in the city of London or something yeah. like that, but yeah. But about yeah, it's it's just interesting because yeah, I mean these places are beautiful. I was just a bit surprised that in the end people decide for the well-known places. Yeah, I wonder if it's more to do with that thing that we were talking about, where you you can you can feel the history, and maybe yeah. people are just you can feel how important these spaces are. Yeah, they're all Probably. quite historical. Um, yeah, the tourist circle in London is very yeah steeped in history. Yeah. So we already talked about um, that London has, has shaped you in a way, but um, has dealing with London and its history and art and literature and everything, has it also, also changed your view of the city in a way? If you can't answer it, you don't have to. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've always had, I've, I've always loved the dirty bits of London. Ever since I was a kid, I was more interested in the horrible histories, mm. in the back alleys, in the pubs, in the pigeons. Yeah, me too. So to me, I never had a kind of Paris syndrome. I, I was never in love with the false idea of London. I've always mm. been in love with its reality. Um, 
I think encountering encountering London through literature changed my view of the city. Um, it suddenly it suddenly added true historical depth to it in a way that the physical didn't quite have. So I think that that changed it and seeing the literary beauty in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think too much. I think I've maintained the same love through my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's basically what we've already said. If, if you, you have a feeling for a place and if you know the history, it can change or you mostly you think, Oh yeah, of course it makes sense. Something like that. Oh yeah. The last question that I always, always ask my, my guests is, but you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, is uh, can you name three Londoners that you would love to have dinner or a drink with from throughout history? Oh, <laughs> Londoners. Um, it's also quite funny because, keep thinking of because if, if I, I also collect the answers, there's, I'm going to put a list <laughs> online one day with who got the most votes. But yeah, you can name anybody or nobody, whatever you, whoever you like. I'd love to, I think I'd love to have dinner with, see a lot of the people I'm thinking of weren't necessarily born in London, but I yeah, assume they count as Londoners. Yeah, but many, there, so, there's many, many answers like that. So that's fine, yeah. That's the, blue, the beauty of it. So yeah. I think I definitely love to have a chat or dinner with Noel Coward. Oh yeah. And I think he'd just be fascinating. Then also Dick Whittington, because Ooh. I'd love to know if his cat did actually speak to him. Or even if he had a cat, I don't really know. I joined um, that dinner, yeah. And then oh who else? I'm trying to think. Um probably sort of I'm thinking of Anne Boleyn. Ooh. Where she wasn't really a Londoner, but she did spend a lot of time in the Tower of London and around there, and she was engaged on there. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Anne Boleyn because yeah, I just fair enough, fair with enough. her anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's also very, yeah, that's, that's good. That's an interesting answer. Um, it's, uh, the, I think the most, the, 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 the one that most people said or that was included the most was William Shakespeare. And he's also not a born Londoner, but he's associated with London. So, yeah, that's fine. But yeah, I think that's that's again the thing like with the with the with the favorite places. I thought Shakespeare's too obvious for for not in a negative way, but it's so obvious. But probably he was a fascinating character, so it would probably be great to have a have a pint with him or dinner. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. So that thank you, Grant. I'd love to have a pint with Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. maybe we'll see what happens <laughs> in the afterlife so maybe we can have a dinner with, with Shakespeare then. <laughs> okay so uh, thank you very much Tara for this wonderful conversation I'm going to put a link to your website and all the every everywhere that you that we can find your art and your poetry and your photography into the description of the talk I hope to have a pint with you in real life in the pub uh, soon. <laughs> and yes. yes, yeah. And I wish you all, wish you all the best with the with your projects and your museum work and everything that you do. And it was great to have you here today. So thank you very much, Tara. Thank you. It's been lovely to chat with you.